on this episode. I'm not as sensitive as one would think, you know, because yeah, look at me, I look pretty sensitive. But You're I'm very not, sensitive I've, guy. I've got an empty coal pit where my heart should be. <laughs> That's but. impossible given the, the, the Hallmark movies that you have written, directed, and, and made. Uh, fair enough. Recorded live in the corner booth at the center of the Coachella Valley universe, this is Big Conversations Little Bar. Now, your hosts, Patrick Evans and Randy Florence. Welcome to another episode of Big Conversations Little Bar. My name is Patrick Evans, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, Randy Florence. We are here at Skip Page's Little Bar, the center of the Coachella Valley universe. A brand new menu has been unveiled more than just the best cheeseburger in town. There's all kinds of great stuff, so people should come in and check it out. Uh, Randy, great to be with you again. I'm glad that we've come back from being canceled a few weeks ago. I we, can't remember what you said, but I'm glad we're back. How can we get canceled? With, I mean, it's not a job. This is a hobby. You can't cancel a hobby. John McMullen is our producer and runs the board, and we're delighted to have him along. But today, I'm super excited about this episode because Ron has been a friend of mine for a uh, a while, and one of my favorite things, it's only happened once, but I was at Ron's house. Should we, should we say that his name is Ron Oliver? Ron Oliver, renowned screenwriter, director, uh, Svengoolie fan, magician, mm-hmm. member of the Magic Castle. Thank you. Yep. Yep. All of these things all are true. Things. But I'm also a knight. Please remember that. As you know, I was Sir knighted. Sir Ron Oliver? Sir Ronald Oliver. I was knighted the, uh, the, the sovereign nation of Sealand. I did a good deed for the country. And they knighted me. So I'm actually Sir Ronald Oliver. I did not I know have, that. I have my card here. My, I, I have to <laughs> carry card my knight. membership card in the knighthood so that when I travel, I can get special diplomatic immunity. The Principality of Sealand. That's correct. So you could commit a crime somewhere. And they couldn't put you in jail because you're a diplomat, That's basically. precisely correct, yeah. although I would never wear white shoes after Labor Day, which is <laughs> the only thing I would be arrested for anyhow, so, you know. <laughs> We're delighted to have Ron Oliver here. Uh, Ron, you have, I'm going to start here, hmm. Frank Sinatra's bar. I do. You have Frank Sinatra's, it's a tiki bar. It is. It's a bamboo bar with stools, three bamboo stools. You've sat on those stools, I Patrick. Um, yeah, it's a... It, was it a consignment shop? Uh, the, the, the short version of the story is, a friend of mine called me up one day and he said, what are you doing? I said, I was, you know, I'm splitting atoms or something <laughs> as I do around the house. It was a Monday. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> and he said, can you bring $600 and get here right now? And is the kind of friend who, when they say to you, bring $600 cash right now, you just go. So I went. And he was standing there guarding this beautiful bamboo bar with these three bamboo stools. That was from the uh, Sinatra's first house here in Palm Springs, the one on Alejo. Uh, Twin Palms Estates. That's correct. And uh, this bar sat at the outside. Uh, uh, when you first go through, you've been there. When you first go through and you go through the living room before you go out to the pool area, on the right-hand side, there's that little inlet sort of place where you hang out. And that's where this bar was. And a friend of ours actually had photographs of it sent to us. But so I, I was like, I'll take it because I'm not an idiot. And so now we have in our living room at home, Frank's Bar. So when you go there, you can, and we also have, which I think I might have let you drink out of, um, a set of his uh, drinking glasses from the house, the second house, um, with his initials etched in them. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So. That's pretty awesome. It is kind of awesome. I mean, do you feel it like every time you sit down, you're like, you know, I'd like to say that. I, I'm not as sensitive as one would think, you know, because yeah, look at me, I look pretty sensitive. But You're a very not, sensitive I'm, guy. I've got an empty coal pit where my heart should be. That's but impossible given the, the, the Hallmark movies that you have written, directed, and, and made. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Okay, I'll take that. Because each one draws a tear each time. Come on. Oh, I like that. Well, except for the first one, not Hallmark, mm. your first movie. My first picture ever. Prom night two. Uh, Hello, that, Mary Lou. Prom that, night two. There weren't a lot of tears in that one. No, Maybe there some screams. There weren't. Uh, there were some screams. Uh, there were tears for me when the first set of reviews came out. Um, <laughs> so that the movie was released in Canada before it was released in America, and like by a week. And the first set of reviews came out when it was released in in, uh, in Canada, and they were scathing. I mean, they were like nasty reviews. They were like personal slams, saying, you know, take away his typewriter. And <laughs> 
and and wow. and I thought, wow, yeah, I was like, wow. So so that I'm sitting in the office of the production office because uh, uh, I had a deal there, and I'm uh, you know I'm photocopying something like, like probably my suicide note. And and remember fax machines? Yes. Okay, so I glanced down at the fax machine. And there's this thing coming out, and it's a review of the movie because it had just been released in America. And this review comes out from the L.A. Times. Dear, dear, bless him, Kevin Thomas. Review comes out. Uh, Hello, Mary Lou Prometheus is the blue velvet of high school horror movies. <laughs> and I went, I'm going to see you people later. I'm going to move to California, uh, the place you ought to be. I don't need this nonsense. <laughs> so I packed up and left. You're Canadian. I said, see ya, baby. <laughs> I'm going to go to America where they understand good schlock. Where they get it. You know. Where they get uh, Well, I, I I jumped ahead. What got you to making your first movie? Um, probably a war of attrition, I would think. I was uh, a magician um, uh, when I was a kid and uh, did, like, nightclubs and so forth. Oh, my famous magic story is um, I was the uh, opening act for a band called The Fix. There was a bar in Toronto called the Elma Combo, and the Fix were playing there. And they called up my agent, who was handling me as a magician, and said, look, you got a guy. So I go over, and I do my act. And it did pretty well. I mean, you know, I'm opening for the Fix. Um, so the manager of the place comes to me later on, and he goes, hey, listen, do you want to come on the weekend? Because we have another band coming. I can't tell you who they are. Coming in on Saturday, Friday, Saturday night uh, for two nights. Do you want to come and open for them? And I was like, you know, the Elmo was not a big room. And I said, well, I can't. I got this big Lions Club dinner I'm doing, you know. <laughs> uh, so I got to go to that, you know. And, and, and you know, Buffy Wertheimer's uh, birthday party. So I, I can't. Um, so uh, I passed. And then two weeks later, they said, yeah, that, that was the Rolling Stones. Oh. So it was the Love You Live uh, when they recorded at the Elmo. And oh, to ouch. this day, oh, ouch. Yeah, now the fix, fair enough, good band, good fix band, is a great band. But you but know, the, the Rolling Stones, Stones the come Stones, on, come who on. I've seen like four times. So you know, uh, you have this in common with one of my other great heroes, <laughs> and I count you among those. Oh, you're very kind. Johnny Carson started out John, as a Con Johnny Carson. Um, I, I did not. Know I that did one. not know that. Uh, yeah, no, I knew that. Well, because yeah, Carson yeah. was a member of the Magic Castle. Yes, of course. Where I'm a proud member of the Magic Castle. This is my husband, also a member of the Magic Castle. Eric um, is right here with us. He's he is, not headsetted he is, up, but no, he's he's just he's uh, about to long, cut somebody in half. Long suffering Eric. Who <laughs> my husband lying in the dictionary <laughs> beside the word long suffering is a picture of my husband Eric. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, the Magic he Castle. He to trot out with you, the prom queen, all the time. All the time. <laughs> um, uh, Johnny was a member. Uh, uh, Cary Grant was a member of the castle. Really? Uh, NPH, Neil Patrick Harris, is a proud member. He was the president of the AMA for a while, Academy of Magical Arts. Patrick. And the uh, longstanding owner of the castle just recently passed. Mil Uncle Milty just passed, yeah. And they made their money. The, the first bunch of money those guys made was from Truth or Consequences. The TV show. They used to be producers in the thing, and they did a bunch of other stuff, but that was their big claim to fame. But yeah, so I was a magician, and then, um, to bring it back around, I'm so sorry. Uh, I was a magician, and this guy saw me do a magic show, and he said, How would you like to host a kid's show in, uh, in, on television in Canada? So I said, Bob, sure. You know, why not? I'm not why not? So I did this local kid's show called The Silver Basketball, where I was this guy who hung out at this park with a silver basketball and every day kids would come to the park. There wasn't a band or and anything. No, it? no, no. And we would do this. We'd have adventures. We'd like, you know, make crafts or we'd go on a hike or, we, you know, hiking. We'd do these things. <laughs> Camping. Camping. <laughs> but that was the thing. Now, things. this is a, a very innocent time, Patrick, when a guy lurking in a park. <laughs> wasn't know, looked upon. It was not looked upon as a thing of, especially with a large silver with ball. With a shiny Yeah, object. you know. Look over here, children. children. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, I did that the show. The world was a simpler place. Oh, it was simpler then. It was simpler. So then I did. So I did that for for like a couple years. And a uh, 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 producer was named Fred Berry, who passed recently. Lovely man. Gave me my big break, you know. Because then, when it was over, I thought I'm going to go to Club Med. So I went to Club Med. And while I was at Club Med, they asked me to stay at Club Med and work there and run the, the stage shows. And I, hadn't, I had nothing to do when I went back. I had a little money in the bank. I thought, sure, I'll stay. So I stayed there. And the experience of Club Med, I wrote a script 
based on the experience of being a 21-year-old with shaggy blonde hair and a thong um, uh, with international foreign tourists for the better part of a year in the Caribbean, Martinique specifically. So I thought, okay, great, I'll go to the script. And I came back to Canada, um, sent the script around to a bunch of places uh, in Toronto, just in an, an envelope, and they, a couple places bit. And one place said, we want you to come and write for us. We need a horror movie. So I went over there, and I was with them, and I wrote uh, a spec script. Well, not spec, they were paying me, I guess. Uh, a script called uh, The Haunting of Hamilton High. And so we made this uh, thing. So I wrote this thing about a prom queen from, the, from beyond the grave. You know, it's a documentary, really, for me. And, <laughs> and uh, so, so we made the, the, the picture directed by a lovely man named Bruce Pittman. And we made the movie. It comes back. It doesn't quite work. And a lot of it was the writing, to be fair. The script was not necessarily... It was my first script. So I was like, nah, you know. So I did some rewriting on stuff. And we did reshoots. And the, uh, Bruce was not available. The director, original director wasn't available. So they gave it to me to direct. So that was my first directing gig. So was you fixing actually got to direct your first My script. first script. Wow. So, and that was me fixing it, basically. <laughs> learning how to fix it. And I learned more about writing and that experience than, than ever in my life. So I did that. Directing it taught you about the writing yes, part. Yes, precisely, because it taught me how, how little you really need. That's the key. Most, most of the problems with movies, if you see a film and you're going, oh, I don't know about this movie, is because there's too much of it. Overwritten. Yeah, because your brain moves pretty quickly, and even more so now. But you don't need as much necessarily. So it's, it's tricky. It's a balancing act, obviously, but it's tricky. So I did that. And then uh, we take, back in the day, they used to have a thing called the American Film Market. And you would take your movie to the American Film Market. So they gave it to me to take. So I have nine cans, nine film reels in a shopping cart, driving through LAX, walking through LAX, pushing my shopping cart with my move, my whole life, my, my everything, my career, whatever. Going through there, took it to the American Film Market, and they're going to do a screening of it at the Alfred Hitchcock Theater. So no pressure. At all. Who is one of your great heroes? Mr. Hitchcock, one of my great heroes. Goes Patrick Evans, then Albert Hitchcock, and then Groucho. Well, we just met. Then well, we did just meet, but <laughs> I'm fun. sure you're going to get... Yeah. yeah. So, so, so we screen the picture, screams, laughter, yada, yada, yada. It does well with the audience. Um, the the uh, company bought it. Samuel Goldwyn company bought it and said, let's call it Prom Night 2 because you guys own the title. So they retitled it, Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2, and that's the movie, and that's how it all happened. That's amazing. Yes. So right. So that was, and, and obviously that was something you, you really kind of loved and, and, and dug into. But now you do all these very sweet, lovely rom-com Hallmark movies. Talk about the transition. How did, where, where did that come from? Mostly as a mortgage payment, um, Patrick. Um, I, I love when I reality. I met Ron at an earlier point. Uh, you might. <laughs> Randy, by the way, was a, a, a mortgage broker of note in oh. California. Oh, excellent. Of note. Well, oh. No, I just gave notes. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah we love those. Thirty-year <laughs> yeah. notes. Did you do the forty-year notes? I tried. Yeah. Well, that's a good one. So yeah, um, well, that transition was actually uh, smoother than you'd think because. Um, from doing prom night stuff, I, um, I did a couple other movies. I did a thriller for New Line and some other stuff. And then I started doing television, and I did a show called Goosebumps and a show called Are You Afraid of the Dark? And those are two, like, kid horror things, scary Arl things. Stein. Yeah, yeah Arl, Bob Stein is a great guy. So, and there's a story to that, too. But so, um, so, so I do those things, and then they call me up and say, hey, do you want to come and do Dennis the Menace Christmas? And I was like, Yeah. I'd love to. Dennis the Menace movie, why not? And I got to put, like, R.J. Wagner was in it, you know, and it was, so that was fun. We're still, we stayed friends. It was great. Um, you know, and, and it, great cast, great fun. Um, so I got to do that, and then suddenly I became the Christmas guy. So Warner Brothers makes that movie, and then I go to, I did some other, oh, I did a, a thing called Chasing Christmas with uh, Leslie Jordan. Oh, yes, of course. So wonderful. And, and, and Leslie oh. was just the best. Oh, the best, the best. So we did that movie, and then it just sort of, I did a bunch of other, and then they called me up and said, come do some Hallmark Christmas pictures. So I had a run of, like, from, God, like a decade of doing Hallmark Christmas pictures pretty much nonstop, and a bunch of rom-coms for them, too. But the Christmas movies were the ones that really seemed to hit with people in a way that 
surprised me. And just last year, was it last year or two years ago? Last year. Last year. Uh, like, off the charts. We had the, film. Yeah, uh, a movie called Falling for Christmas. Falling for Christmas, with yes. With Lindsay uh, Lohan. And it was the number one movie for Netflix in the world for like, like a week and a half, two, two weeks, almost two weeks. Wow. And I was in Greece making a picture over there as this was all happening. And uh, so I couldn't like bask in it particularly. I could go down to the lobby of the hotel in Rhodes and go, you know, I have the number one. No. <laughs> Nobody cared. They didn't speak English. They didn't know what I was talking about. So that was no good. Um, but I also at the same time had this movie on Amazon Freebie. Uh, which is going to be the new thing, by the way, yes. um, because it's going to be uh, uh, you're going to have commercials in your streaming services, and that's what Freebie is. So it's basically television, but you can carry it in your iPad. So, um, so it's uh, interesting how the business model changed, and then it changed, and it back. changes right back, it's right back, because they went, wait, we're not making enough money yet. Right. So still need the advertising. We, exactly. So I had this picture on Freebie called Hotel for the Holidays, and it was a massive hit for them. So I had like a couple of great Christmas hits in a row, you know, and and then uh, now I don't know what to do. Is there another horror movie in there? There is actually. I'm doing right now. I just fin- I just delivered this morning, uh, based on an R.L. Stein book called Midsummer Night's Scream. So we're going to see how that goes. It's uh, you know because everything is coming back again. We're it's fresh again. You know, we'll see what happens. But um, that's a project. You. Uh, you write and you direct. Which do you prefer? Um, I think anybody who does both will tell you the same thing. They satisfy two different parts of your creative spirit. Um, directing satisfies the ego part of me, the part that the the, the uh, uh, what's the you know the. The outgoing part of me, if you will, you know, the extrovert. The extrovert. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Whereas the writing part of me is the introvert. And my husband will tell you that when I'm writing something, I'm probably the most unpleasant person on earth (laughs) because I don't want to be bothered because I have my own world with my own people and my own rules and they have to do what I tell them to do. Although that's kind of directing too now that I think about it. But (laughs) it's... But... (laughs) Except with the actors, you know. Um, but yeah, so so I would say both. It does something for both parts of you, creatively. You frequently, when you decide to write a script, or when you're, you know, like, I've got to get this script knocked out. No. You'll rent a room over at the Ingleside Inn. I do. In and fact. you just kind of sequester yourself. I do. I and that's d- where you and Eric got married. It is. We did get married at the Ingleside Inn. In yeah. fact, uh, ten years ago this Christmas. Because we got married on Christmas night because King of Christmas. Hello. Oh, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It takes so really, Eric, you your marriage is the biggest Christmas hit that you've authored. Oh, oh. honey. Did you see what he did there? Oh, you're so clever, Patrick. <laughs> Write that down, honey. He's looking for a partner <laughs> yeah, next he is. movie. Of course I, he always. Is. Always. Um, always. Constantly. Yeah, I take sweet. I, they put me in sweet 16, adorable, at the Ingleside, and I go there and write, 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 write. And I also compose music, as you know, because I write songs for the movies that, that I do. Um, and those are like another creative aspect of it. So it's something else, another part of your creative psyche that gets scratched. When we started this podcast, we were really uh, like leaning heavily into music. Uh, we, and it, it quickly departed that. Mm. Uh, it was going to be like uh, we were going to have people on and just ask you what's your favorite song or what you know what's the most surprising it thing. It was like a two minute podcast. Yeah, it was. It was like <laughs> this is very very short lived. Uh, but talk about composing because that is an entire. I mean, so di- it's mathematical and yeah. I mean, like it's a really different part of your brain. It's not something that I had ever set out to do. But what happened the first time I wrote a song. Um, for one of the movies, it was called World of Love, because we couldn't get the rights to Nat Cole's um, uh, La Vie en Rose. And we needed something for this movie I did for Hallmark, set in Paris. So I thought, okay, I'll write something, sort of a, a pastiche of Noel Coward and, and, and you know, a bit of Nat, you know. So I wrote and I know that you love Noel Coward. I do, as you know. No, revere. Sir, I revere Sir Noel. Um, uh, so yeah, so I wrote this song uh, for actually for my husband because it's about how I travel a lot, and doesn't matter where I am, uh, where I go won't vex us. 
whether Paris, Rome, or Texas. <laughs> you see the coward influence. So, um, so that's the. I so I wrote that um, in about forty-five minutes on the balcony of a hotel, the, the Magic Castle Hotel in Hollywood, sitting up on the balcony, and I thought I needed it, because my composer called, he said, we, we need a song, we haven't got a song, we can't get the rights. And I, I said, okay, well, uh, uh, give me 45 minutes. So I sat down, <laughs> wrote this thing, 45 and minutes. then I call him up and I go, okay, here's the song, and I sang it, I sent him the lyrics, and I sang him to uh, the thing. So then he sat with his keyboard, because I didn't have a keyboard, sat with his keyboard and did his, and he said, how's that? I said, good. So we've always done it that way. I've written maybe eight songs for pictures. And we did one called Christmas Is Not My Thing that was in Christmas Train. Um, uh, we did one called, uh, for this last movie for, for Amazon, I did something called um, My Very Own Christmas. That every time we played it on set, the grips, the big burly guys who move the equipment, would sob. Aww. Sob and cry. You wrote that song. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's a different part of your head, but it's it's all part of the same thing because you're still storytelling. Yeah, really. I mean, pulling those lyrics is. I mean, it's a it's an exercise. It is, and it's you know because uh, you're rhyming. Uh, one hopes um, you're, you're rhyming. You're finding that. Uh, but the there's a there's pentameter. a meter to it. Yes, as well. I mean, it, like, it's different than writing a script. When it know. is well, because the song is in your head. Like the the melody, I'll hear the melody first. And, and do you share the melody, then with the person who's got to yeah? Pull I'll, the music? I'll just sing it. Like I'll write this. I'll hear the melody in my head. I'll write the lyrics out, and then I'll just call Peter, uh, my my guy. Peter yeah. Allen is his name. Not the, not the dead Australian, but the other one. Um, uh, I'll call him up and I'll say, Peter. I'm glad you've said much that. more convenient. Yeah, I went right to the dead. Of course, Australian. you would. Uh, yeah, my baby smiles at me. I got to. Re- <laughs> um, so I, I call him up and I go, here's the song, and then we do it. So and we have a bunch. Like we have like literally a CD's worth of songs. So. Well, when are you gonna put the CD out? He tells me all the time we need two more songs and we'll do it. So I'll write. <laughs> but I'll he write. Keeps saying two more yeah, songs. Cut forty five minutes. <laughs> I know, but I only write. I got forty five. I only write songs when I need one for the movie because I don't have like that. I'm not that full of myself. Hard to believe. I know, but. <laughs> Uh, you know, so. but it, well, I mean, I it, it's interesting to me because I'm I'm just listening to you tell the story, and it feels like the songwriting part is is sort of a necessity. Yeah, like you know, like yeah, I, but it's it's not like <laughs> I don't go home at night and write songs. No, I, I don't I go lie. Home and write, not, I write like, movies. Yeah, I'm not like Leonard Cohen lying there <laughs> and going, oh. How many verses are there to Hallelujah? Sixty <gasps> something. Yeah, but Still do you, know, you know Sharon Sills. Oh yes, of, of course. course. So Sharon does. Hallelujah for us every time we see her. She also does G Wiz, the Bernadette Peters uh, yep. the single. She does that. So. I've known Sharon Sills for 24 or 25 years. When I lived in Did Orange County. Did you babysit her? That's <laughs> a long time ago. It's <laughs> a long time. Child. When I lived in Orange County, when I first moved to California, I lived in Orange County, and there was a restaurant in Newport Beach. Um, this great Italian restaurant, and all of a sudden I can't remember the name, but there was a guy named Richie Fano who played piano. It was a great Italian restaurant, but it was a piano bar. And every oddball in Orange <laughs> County and surrounds would go in there on Sunday nights, and we'd all sing. Sharon would sing. I'd get up and sing. There were all these. There was this guy. He'd get up, and he had three songs. He'd do the same three songs. And one night I asked him what he did, and he Hemden Hahn, and finally he told me he owned all of the bikini bars in Huntington Beach. That was how he made his money. And he was the one who invented the bikini bar with the slanted mirror behind the bar so you could right. see the girls. Genius. I'm like, you're, you're the master of Huntington Beach. Like He and Patrick are still close. We, no, he's gone. He since has left. But I knew Sharon then. She would drive in from Vegas to sing with Richie. Oh, that's fantastic. At okay. the Villanova. The Villanova was there. Right, I'm going to see her. We'll, we'll see her next Thursday. I'm going to definitely talk to her about that. Cause, uh, no, Sharon's great. But, she's a, but uh, you know, we're talking about favorite songs. Um, Patrick, as you may know, is also a fine singer. He sings Summer Wind for us. Because Summer Wind is our wedding song. Because the night we got married at, at the Ingleside Inn, um, our dear friend Patrick... Um, uh, that guy. Uh, uh, what's his name? Michael Healy. Michael Healy. <laughs> um, 
Dear, dear, very, yeah. Co- yeah, very close friends. Uh, <laughs> we really no, Michael, of course. Uh, he has is, a star, you know, on the Walk of Fame. He does yeah. He's very shy about it. He doesn't oh, like. He to, never tells. He doesn't like to talk about. It. Michael, of course, is the. Uh, he is the performer at Melvin's, but also kind of the musical director, and they have the one of the longest running. Sunday jam oh. sessions. I mean, it's just incredible. It's genius. And they bring in like four or five people that come in, they sing, and then everybody, it's open mic, not open mic, but open-ish mic. Open-ish. And they bring in, yeah, open-ish. And they bring in singers, and it's it's the best Sunday afternoon you could imagine. I love that place. Well, I mean, and, and this is the truth, and I'm sure that Michael Healy will listen to this podcast. Mm. And so, I'm sure he knows this already. <laughs> but the truth is, I nominated him for a star on the Palm Strings Walk of Stars, and he now has that. But I did that solely so that when I go into Melvin's, he'll let me sing. And Because <laughs> now he feels, he feels you know, yep. that it's necessary. That's a good investment. It, but I thought it was. Yeah, because then you can just sing. Well, so, so he played on our, we didn't, when we got married, everybody just showed up. We said, let's go to the back uh, patio and just get married. And uh, there's an actor named Udo Kier. Uh, a German cult film star Udo Kier Udo became an ordained minister for us and he did our wedding and Michael was there and he goes well what do you want to hear I said how about Summer Wind so my husband and I got up and we danced to Summer Wind and that's become our song and that was the thing and so so uh, young Patrick here uh, will sing it uh, for us occasionally when he shows up when I go into Melvin's and, and that's and where I heard you Ron, sing it Ron and Eric are there Michael's like oh well oh, you know, uh, we here we go somewhere. five six seven eight uh, here we go <laughs> uh, and Udo by the way Udo would be we need to have him on the podcast. You should. He's so. Oh my God! You should. He's so interesting and oh, so. Yeah. Uh, he's just. Uh, uh, no, well, that's fascinating. Yeah. That so, be. what is the the, the speakeasy? Uh, upright citizen? No. Something uh, citizen. Cl- very close. Uh, evening citizen. Evening citizen. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been yeah, there yet. Nice try. You haven't been there. I haven't been there yet, dude. It's fantastic. There is a brand new speakeasy. In Palm Springs, and it literally, I mean, it's a speakeasy. It's literally a speakeasy. Yeah. yeah. There's no front entrance, and you have to know, And but Udo is immortalized. Is on the wall. He is the centerpiece of the speakeasy. <laughs> when you go in, there's this fabulous portrait. But Udo is the, I mean, he was sort of the the, the horror king of, of, of Europe for a little while. He was. Udo uh, uh, did, uh, he was in Andy Warhol's Frankenstein, Andy Warhol's Dracula, you know. Um, I had him in a picture. Udo came and played for me. We did a, one of the Beethoven movies, the the big dog, up in um, Halifax, Nova Scotia. And oh my God! So Udo comes to Halifax to do the picture, and he's only in for like a day. He's going to play this this German billionaire. So he comes up, which there. is very easy for very him. easy for him. Very slides right down. Typecast exactly. So he slides it. He comes up to, and so the two of us. He gets to the night before, and it's uh, Halifax. Very, we're in this small part of Halifax. Very foggy dark and mysterious you know that sound so Udo says let's go get us a pizza okay fine so he and I walk down the street he's got his arm in mine we're walking toddling along you know Udo get there walk in the pizza place and his couple are coming out and so the fog and the creepy and the weird and there's Udo and these two people come out and they go oh my god (laughs) (laughs) it's you it's you Yeah, and he goes, yes, hello. <laughs> you should definitely have Udo on the show, though, but make sure you've got enough uh, storage in your hard drive. He's got a lot of... Well, one of my favorite things about Udo is uh, he is at the Palm Springs Film Festival every year, and uh, I do the red carpet, and he's one of the first to arrive, because he's a local guy. I always interview him, because he's always got some interesting new oh, yeah. story. Like, And the, the, sometimes my producers back at the station are like, we, we, like, is there a movie? Like, what, what do we tell? I'm like, no, no, no. You don't understand. Udo is a, is part of this community. Yes. And yeah. he needs to be interviewed, and you need to run it. No. Because he's the guy. 100%. And, yeah, and, he is. What was the last movie? Now, he had a... Uh, Big picture called Swan Song. Swan Song. He was brilliant in this movie. Incredible. Yeah. Brilliant, that film. And they made that movie for chump change. I mean, they didn't... They, for nothing. But... Uh, he got a nomination, a Spirit Award nomination. He got uh, the international acclaim. The picture was a big, big hit around the world. Um, he's marvelous in the film. If you have, uh, folks out there listening, if you haven't seen Swan Song, check it out. It's the story of a, a retired hairdresser who is given some money 
to do the hair of a dead woman who he used to take care of, and she had snubbed him, and he decides, well, I don't know if I want to do it. And then he said, okay, fine. So he basically has to make his way across, is it Sandusky, Ohio? Yes. He makes his way, which is so weird because I know Sandusky. <laughs> I used to go to the park up there. My best friend lived in Toledo. Um, so, so he uh, makes his way in his wheelchair across Sandusky, Ohio to get to the funeral home to do her hair. And that's the movie. And it sounds like one of those things where you go, how is that a movie? But if you make movies, you understand that the story is the arc. Like, it doesn't matter how big or how small the picture is. It's about this time, this moment, you know, and, and it's a great film. It's it great it film. is. And it, but this is not Udo's podcast. This is your podcast. Well, so whatever. Married, right, right. Well, we'll talk more about Ron when we get Udo on the show. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, well, well, he, yeah, yeah, well Udo has a lot of Ron stories. So, yeah, but he, he, does. he actually got ordained so that he could perform the ceremony for exactly. you and Exactly, yes. So we were very honored by that. That was a great uh, night. And I was I was given away by, do you know the director named uh, Rennie Harlan? Oh, of course, yeah. Okay, so Rennie gave me away. Uh, Die Hard. Yes, uh, Die Hard 2. Die Hard 2. Die Hard 2. This time it's personal. Uh, Rennie, uh, Rennie gave me away at the <laughs> Not wedding. Not good, yeah, but personal. Yeah, personal, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rennie is great. He's the, one of the best people I know. I so, think yeah. I met Rennie, and I know I did, uh, at when Udo got his star. Mm. Rennie was there. Very possible, yeah. yeah. Yep. That was a good day. That was a, a very good. It was day. a very good day. So Almost go. as good as Michael Healy's star. <laughs> well, you can't compete with Michael Healy's no, star. I mean, my no. goodness. I want to go way back. Okay, go way, way back. back. Oh. And I want to the find trugs. out. This is where. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uga chaka uga. If this is where <clears throat> the love for the horror came from. Oh. I can tell you where I it came from. I read a story. Yeah. That ties your birth into the movie Psycho. Thank you very much for knowing that. That's uh, I'm honored by this. So my mother, this man does his research. He does. My mother, uh, Saint Helen, is her name. She's passed now, but uh, she was. Uh, uh, my mother was fantastic. So um, the story went that she went into labor at the Barrie, Ontario, Canada triple drive-in. I think at that time it was probably just a single drive-in. At the drive-in, uh, during Psycho, she went into labor, and they rushed me to, uh, rushed her and me to Royal Victoria Hospital in Barrie, Ontario, Canada, and I was, and I arrived. I made my entrance, you know, as you do, and uh, that was <laughs> as one does, as one does, and that was uh, that night, in fact. And she always says it was, or she used to say it was uh, the, during the shower scene, which I think is a little bit. You know, but telling the story, story. It's a great story. It's you know. an embellishment. Yeah, yeah but you know what? Uh, when the, the yeah, don't worry about the facts. Print the story. <laughs> you know. But yeah, that's that was the thing. But my mom was amazing because she would um, wake me up. The deal was on Wednesday nights in Canada where we lived. Um, on Wednesday nights at midnight, they had a show on CKVR Television, Barrie, Ontario, Canada. They had a horror show. They showed horror movies. So the deal was that if I went to bed at 9 p.m., I could get up at midnight and watch the scary movie for a couple hours and then go back to bed. That was the deal on Wednesdays. So that was my whole childhood was I got to watch horror movies when I was like 9 or 10 years old and then go back to bed afterwards and have like fantastic nightmares. But my mom did that for my whole childhood. So, you know. That was uh, a big thing. Which is why you, on Saturdays, still curl up to Svenguli and the movies. I cherish Svenguli nights. And this started a long time ago for me because I didn't do it when I was a kid, obviously. But um, when I was uh, making a bunch of pictures in Vancouver, Canada, uh, like 20 years ago, um, I would be in a hotel... And Saturday nights, it's like, what are you going to do on a Saturday night in Vancouver, please? It's raining, it's cold, it's horrible. Um, you know, there's like four hours in Vancouver is gorgeous uh, in the summer. <laughs> but the rest of the time, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, but the rest of the time, it's raining all the time. So I was in a hotel room, and I we get the uh, the the station in um, Seattle, and it would be Svenguli, and I thought, what is this show? This is crazy. So I watched it, and I was like, okay, I'm sold and that was like probably 2002 no so. matter where you are oh like yeah 
you've been shooting films in Greece and Croatia, and you still find a way. I found a way to watch Spanguli in Bulgaria. <laughs> Thank you very much. Because all you have to do is you go, you get the app, you do the thing, you have to pretend that you're in some other country, you know, with the, with the whatever it's called, and you do all this stuff, and then boom, Spanguli. And I was watching Spanguli in Romania, or in Bulgaria. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, in Sofia, Bulgaria. So if you ever well, get a chance to go to Bulgaria, I, can I tell you? Sofia, gorgeous. That's the place to go. It's Paris. It's Paris, but Bulgarian. You called me on my birthday. I did. From, yes. From a rooftop bar. In Bulgaria. In Bulgaria. <laughs> I yes. did. Yes, I did. <laughs> it, it also, Not a lot of people can say that. Well, it was also, <laughs> it happened to be Thanksgiving Day. Yeah. My, my birthday occasionally falls on Thanksgiving. And it's so funny because I get up in the morning and <laughs> my mother-in-law is making this very fancy breakfast and kind of screwing it up because it's all my favorite things and she didn't know how to make them. And... and Beefaroni? <laughs> no. And then the phone rings, and I'm like, it's Ron Oliver. Like, Ron! And he's like, I just want you to know, it's evening here where I am, and I'm on a rooftop bar, and I'm looking at a sunset, but I knew it was your birthday, and I wanted to uh. send you a toast, which I really, to this day, I, I so greatly appreciate. I am, cool. I am so glad you remember that, because, uh, well, you know what's important? This is the thing, and this is not to get too deep about it, because, please, um, but, <laughs> you know. No, we um, don't do that. Please. Um, but, you know, one makes pictures and one lives one's life. And you travel the world and you do these great things. And you get to spend time with fantastically interesting people. Very interesting folks. But what's important to know is that you have a community and a family at home. And it's really vital. I found as I mature, because I'm, you know, clearly 39... Um, as I mature, um, it's so important to me to be, is that just me? It's so important to me to, to connect with the people that I love at home and make sure that no matter where I am, they know that I'm thinking of them. In your case, it was a butt dial. But still, <laughs> that's just fine. you know. <laughs> but I accept that. But he recognized your voice. I might treasure a little bit yeah, more. Yeah. What am I doing? This what man has been, his butt has been in very interesting places. So. <laughs> well, <laughs> take a number. Um, you know. Episode two. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so important to, I think, keep that in mind, too, and connect with the people that you love and make sure that it's all part of it. And as a community, we all... You know, we, we have these great lives. These exciting things happen to us. But it's so important to remember to connect with the people that, that, that are important to you. Yeah. So. And I'm, how long have you been in the desert? Uh, let's see. I, I came out here. I, the first time I came out here was 1999. And I stayed at um, a gentleman's resort. Uh, one of those resorts, you know, you know. And... Um, <laughs> And I remember Just driving. For the suntan. Yeah, for the suntan. I came for the suntan. Absolutely. The tan. You know, because who wants those tan lines? They're so vulgar. <laughs> and I came out, I drove up the road, and I looked up at, on Ramon. I looked up at the mountain. I went, oh my God, I'm going to buy a house here. So I was 99. I think I bought, I started shopping in 2000, and I bought the house in June of 2001. The house so. is uh, fantastic. Oh. But talk about the martini well, in the pool. Okay, <clears throat> so. And we had you have have you been since we redid the house? Has he been since you redid the house? So we renovated. I'm not sure you have. Well, we'll figure it. We'll fix we'll that. We'll figure it out. Yeah. The last um, time I was there was with Norman Wong. Nelson. Nelson Wong. Sorry. Uh, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> he's yeah. only. He's only. He's an icon. <laughs> he's um, an icon. Yeah. Is, um, uh, I have so our swimming Nelson. pool in the backyard. Um, has on the bottom of a martini glass mosaic because you have to you can't just have a pool, but it's functional because the the stem of the martini glass is where the deep end starts and then it goes, wow. right down there. and then the olive is the drain. Wow! So and my yeah. husband hand paints it, hand paints the olive every couple of years. That's so. really cool. Yeah, so. no, it's very cool. Uh, <laughs> what's next for you? What uh, you just you just uh, so obviously the strike. <clears throat> we, we were going to do this during the strike, right? Uh, which obviously was a hardship for all of all of you who work in this industry. Mm, sure, uh, but now it's over, mm. and you you have filed off a script. What what was that one? 
Uh, well, this is the R.L. Stein uh, Midsummer Night Scream. Um, what was great about the strike, and it's horrible for people, it's a very difficult time, but I was so far behind on my writing <laughs> that had the strike not happened, I would have been in big trouble <laughs> because I was like, oh, yeah, I'll have this script next Thursday. You know, Damn strike. Uh, <laughs> but I was like, oh, darn it, you guys. So I was able to catch up during the strike, you know. Um, uh, so, so there's that. Um, uh, there's a couple of things floating around. But to be honest with you, you get to a point where you go, what, what, as you say, what's next? Here's the thing. So we made this picture a couple of years ago called Christmas at the Plaza. So we, I wrote it and directed it. We shot it at the Plaza Hotel in New York City. The Plaza has a great place in our lives because my husband and I fell in love there, and we just—it's it's a, a great place for us. And they become family to us over the years. So, we were, I make this picture, and I have had the hardest time finding what I wanted to do after that movie because it was such a experience. We lived there for a time to make the picture. We filmed there. The, the New Yorkers were amazing. We were filming in the streets. We're, we're in the corner of like 56th and, and, and 5th Avenue, like right at the statue. Yeah. And uh, the Pulitzer Fountain. And the, the, the New Yorkers were there gathered to watch us and they just applauded every take. Like they were amazing. So to have that experience and try to figure out whatever you... How do you do something next that means as much to you as that experienced it? That's been a hard thing, to be honest with you. It's been a very hard thing. And I found stuff I like, but to find the thing... Every once in a while, people say, don't you want to make... Like, what's the movie you really want to make? And I made these... I made four um, private eye movies, gay private eye movies, called uh, The Donald Strachey Mysteries. And they were basically The Thin Man, Nick and Nora, but Nick and Nick. And we made these pictures. And so I got to say everything I ever wanted to say in my life in those four films. And then you get to go and do the plaza, and then there's that. So then you're like, now what? Like, what do you say? Because you don't want to just be the guy who just shows up. You want to say something. You want to, like, contribute to... Because there's enough content, a word I hate. There's enough content out there. So what do you do? Like... what do I bring to the party? I want to make sure that what I do means something, at least to people, you know, that they gather around the Christmas time and enjoy the show or they, they whatever. But you want to make it mean something. And it's, it's a challenge sometimes to make sure you're not just making dreck. And do you feel in your career that you have? You've meant something? I know I have. Good. And that's the shocking Good. thing. Like the shocking thing about it. I, get, I had an email once in the exchange with a woman who has a, um, a it's hard to talk about. Um, she has a group of nursing homes up in Sacramento. And they would watch this movie I made called The Christmas Train with Dermot Mulroney, God yeah. bless him, I love him so much, and, and Danny Glover and Joni Cusack. And we made this picture and they would show it to the residents of the nursing home. And she sent me a thing. She said, look, I want you to know that these are, these are people who are um, they're not necessarily with us. They're, they're Alzheimer's folks. And we showed this movie, and they sit there and engage, and they love it, and they laugh, and they cry, and they clap. We don't get that. That never happens. So you've done this with this movie. So things like that happen, and you go, Wow. Like, it means something to people. And they, they, I get, you know, the great thing about social media is you get emails. You get, like, direct messages. And people tell you, this movie meant this to me. This movie meant that to me. And it's a cliche, but if you can touch one person with your story, you know, that's kind of a thing. Did it's you dream this big when you were a kid? Yeah. Yeah? I did. That's Honestly, so cool. I did. When that's I was so cool. A, when I was a little kid... I said one day, I want to make pictures. We called them pictures back then, Patrick. Um, I want to make, yeah. They were talkies, I want to make talkies. They were talkies, you know. I want to make movies. I want to make movies, and I want to, people to love them. 
you know. And have I made crap? Sure, I made crap. Who hasn't? Have I made stuff that people loved? Yeah, I have. And that's been the greatest thing ever, the, the, the most rewarding thing of it all. So um, were you encouraged to continue creatively when you were younger? Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I was raised by my dad was a rock and roll singer in Canada who married my mom, who was a model, cliche, and her parents made him give up rock and roll because they knew that that lifestyle was going to be dangerous for a marriage. So he became like an insurance guy or a real estate guy or whatever. My dad did much stuff. But he never really got back from that. Like he never came back from that. So when I clearly evidenced that I was going to be, you know, do what I do in the pictures, um, uh, uh, it became that. And they were like, go do it. Yeah, I was encouraged, always encouraged. That's, you know, I think that's so important. my parents were very loving. My father discouraged things, sort of actively. <laughs> Ouch! The, the first no, I, I, no. He was a, he was a great guy, and and I, I dearly love him. But I I do remember it's so important to have. I mean, my parents were always very supportive. But the first time I was ever on television as a weekend weatherman, I came home for dinner that night because it was in my hometown, and my dad said, "You're never going to make it in this business. You look too much like Nixon. You need to shave." <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Five o'clock shadow at noon. <laughs> I was like, well, oh thanks, no! Pop. Uh, wow. But no, I, I just think that's fantastic that your parents were. But like- the encouragement is so big, and you know what else? I, I wanted to make a point about this because um, I'm, we live here in in the desert and our town on Palm Springs. People encourage me personally because I I write. Everyone knows this, but I write. It was in Empire Magazine. That's a UK magazine, Patrick. Um, um, I write in bars. I write at Street Bar. I write at what used to be Score Bar, which is now whatever. Um, at Dick's now. Um, I, and I write in bars. And people encouraged me. Like, the people around me knew what I did. And the bar flies will come to you and say, <laughs> How's it, what's the new movie? What's going on? What's and to know your community encourages you, that's, like, such a huge thing. It's one of the great things. I don't know if people maybe get here in the desert, but... but our community encourages you towards stuff. It's a very embracing place. And I have been the beneficiary of this because they have encouraged me always. So, and, awesome. you know, yeah, it really is. Yeah. I appreciate it so much. Are you pay- paying that forward in any way? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Screw them. Yeah, no. I got no. mine. Well, you know what, though? I'll buy, okay, I'll buy a round once in a while. <laughs> but please. Good luck, you people. Yeah, honestly, you know. Yeah. Around for everybody, but you know, well, not top shelf, not please. You know, please. Right. The, the oh dear, oh god. <laughs> Old Forester's okay. good. We don't need Jack. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, this has been. I, I, this happens a lot on this podcast. We have people. I mean, you and I have known each other for a long time. I know you and Eric, and the, uh, had the. You know, great blessing of being in your home and sitting at Frank's bar and having cocktails. But it's so fun to get to know people better because Randy does such great research. He really asked interesting questions. He did. I was shocked that you knew about my mom and Psycho. I was so glad I was right. That was fantastic. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for spending some time with us, Ron. Guys, this is great. I mean, I just, you know, be able to sit with friends and and new friends and chit-chat about stuff. It's just fun. Before we wrap up, I wanted to talk about this because... Several years ago, there was a Hallmark movie, and there was it wasn't even a main character, but there was like sort of a a side character who is gay, and there was pushback mm. on that particular film. And you and I have talked about this, yeah. like, like all of the, not all, many of the people who were pushing back, like, do they not? Would they be interested in knowing? that all of the Hallmark Christmas movies that they dearly oh. love <laughs> that's, were written by a, that's, a gay yeah. man living with a, his a, husband a, in Paul Street. A great raging homosexual. Uh, that's, <laughs> uh, that's, that's a podcast for another day. <laughs> but yes, now to be fair, Hallmark has come around and they are doing better things. They're doing the, the better work now. Um, but yeah, that's... But uh, there was a transition, dude. I mean, oh like, yeah, There was a huge. moment... It was a moment at 100%. It actually happened during Christmas at the Plaza. And that weekend, they premiered that picture. 
there was a big moment that happened, and uh, it was it was a big big deal. And you could see it. There's a sea change that happened, you know. Um, well, and there was an you know there was Twitter stuff going on. Oh, yeah. I think I I sent you. A, I was like, oh, yeah. this is hilarious. Yeah, yeah, no. Like. I would like to, these people to meet Ron Oliver yeah. Because, yeah. because they love your movies. Yeah, well, that's the thing. And uh, to be fair, the fan base, they get it, and they're, they're, they're fine. There's these fringe people. There's always fringe people. The problem with the Internet, as you well know. Well, the fringe has the loudest voice. They have the loudest voice, you know, and it's like, again, the people who wear the white after Labor Day, you hear them all the time. And I, I can't even. loud. I, I can't. Yeah. I just can't. Stupid is loud. Stupid is loud. <laughs> so good. <laughs> <laughs> Ron Oliver, thank you so much. And Eric, thank you. He's over here. Yeah, quietly see? sitting, going, oh, Long my God. Suffering. Uh, I've been looking forward to this. The, the Patrick's been telling me, and I've been getting more excited oh, now that you were going to be here. So thank you. Thanks for joining us, Ron. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me here. It was great. It was great. So Ron Oliver is our guest. Uh, and, of course, you can check out all of his work, uh, the Hallmark, Hallmark movies, and so much of, uh, of his body of work outside of Hallmark as well, and uh, we would continue to look forward to the next great thing. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you. Thanks to John McMullen. Thank you, Randy Florence. Glad to be here with you again. And, of course, we want to thank... Can I come back next week? We'll see. Okay. Uh, You did very well this week, I thought. Really, really good. It's an ongoing critique of Randy Florence's co-hosting abilities. Now, you're always fantastic. And we, of course, love Skip Page and Little Bar and the entire team at Little Bar that takes such good care of us. Uh, on podcast days, we're superstars. If we come in when we're not doing a podcast, we're just paying customers. You're listening to Big not Conversations <laughs> Little Bar. Thank you for joining us for Big Conversations Little Bar with Patrick Evans and Randy Florence. Hear our entire library of episodes from BigConversationsLittleBar.com or most major podcast portals. This podcast is a production of the Mutual Broadcasting System. (laughs) 